This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. John chapter 17, if you uh, remember now, this chapter is a prayer chapter. It's Jesus. You know, normally we, 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 we have been watching him with a discourse, teaching his disciples, telling his disciples all these things. Now we moved into that 17th chapter, and it is a prayer to God, and it is very interesting uh, that it's divided into three different sections of prayer, and we'll, we'll uh, bring that out as we get towards the end of the chapter and we'll kind of expound upon it as we go along too. So we're at verse number 12. And actually Jesus has been praying in the first one through five verses, he prays for himself. And then he is starting now to pray for his disciples. And he started that in verse 6. And he'll continue down through verse 19. Uh, and you can, you can notice the wording in those verses as we've been going along. He used the word I many times previously at the beginning. And now he is going to use that word them. So he is praying for the disciples. You know, isn't it amazing? Here he is facing crucifixion coming up very soon now. Arrest the next chapter. And yet... Jesus is concerned over his sheep. He is concerned over the disciples. He's praying for them. So it's amazing how the Lord is still uh, wanting the best for us, and he always does. So we pick up at verse number 12, and he says, While I was with them, and that them is the disciples in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. So Jesus is stating here that during his earthly ministry, he has guarded. That's what he means by that kept word. I have guarded my disciples. I have tried to keep them from perishing and keep them from things in the world, the wicked world that's going around them. But, you know, he knows, he says in that last verse, but the son of perdition. Now, who is the son of perdition? You know who that is. That is Judas. And that is uh, Judas being used by the devil and what he did. That word perdition means lost one. So we find here that Judas was lost. And Judas made his own choice to do that. And of course, his, his uh, behavior was a fulfillment of divine prophecy. Oh, you mean that it was prophesied all, all those years ago that Judas was going to do that? Sure was. Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And we, we went through that in John. What did Jesus tell them there, there in that room? The one who dips up with me. That's going to be the one. And Judas, of course, did that. So all that prophecy was being fulfilled. Verse 13, And now come I to thee, 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and thy word hath hated them or the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So Christ being about to leave this earth, he was conscious that there was going to be a void there with the disciples. And of course, certainly it would. They've been with him these, these years of ministry and he would leave them. But you know what Jesus requests? That his joy might be in them. And so that joy is what would fill them and help them in the days ahead. And you know how it's going to come? A lot of that is going to come. He says, it was the word. He says, I have given them thy word. So it is very important, not only for them, but it's important for us today that we read the word, comprehend the word, live by the word. And, and so it is, it is something that we need in our life every day. And he'll talk more about that. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. Now here's a verse that when people have asked me or you have thought of this before and we've talked about it before, is that when you get saved, why doesn't the Lord just take us out of the world? I mean, we're his children, take us home, we got saved. Well, here's the very reason. Here's the verse that, that backs that up. He says that they need to be in the world. They need to be here for a reason. Christ didn't want to take the disciples out of the world because why? They had a purpose. They had a mission. And so he wanted them to be delivered from the evil one, Satan. That's what he said at the end of verse 15. Keep them from that evil one. We should have victory over the evil one because we're children of God. We don't have to be defeated. But also, we need to be here for our mission as well. We, we have something that the Lord wants us to do. Now, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 13 for just a minute. How important is it about this evil or the evil one? What is, what is his purpose? How important it is that we realize that and know that. He says in Matthew 6, 13, Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So I'm glad that he, he is a deliverer. He can help us not only as we deal with this through, through the Lord's help, but we can be delivered out of that. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because what? Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. So that, that presence of this evil one is all around us. He's in the world today. We can see the effects of it. We can see things that are happening because of being influenced many times by the devil. So... He's saying that we need to be sober and vigilant. And I can only think that he's thinking about these disciples here. He's getting ready to leave and he's saying, hey, disciples, I need you to be vigilant. 
I need you to be sober. I need you to be aware of what's going on around you. And I'm praying for you right now. And that's what he's doing in this prayer. Verse 16, back in John 17. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And that doesn't mean that the disciples wasn't born in the world. They, they were. They're humans. They're like you and me. But exactly what he is saying here in this particular verse is that they don't belong to the world now. You know, and I thought about that. As children of God, isn't that great to know we're his children? We belong to the Lord. We've given our heart to him. So really, we're living in the world, but hey, we don't belong to the world. And we shouldn't let them rule and reign over us. We should realize, hey, we're children of God. So they belong to Christ. Now, he's saying in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. What is truth? He says here, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me unto the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now, that word sanctify, what is he praying for his disciples? He is praying that they be make holy, that they are consecrated, they are dedicated, they are have purified lives, they are set apart. That's what all sanctification is about. And folks, that is the same thing that we need to have in our lives. We need to realize that we can be consecrated to the Lord. We can have a dedication to serve the Lord. We can be purified and set apart. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is really what the Christ is praying here, that they're going to need these things in their life and in the days ahead. They're going to need that. Now, how are they going to get that? Get that? They, the process of becoming holy could only come through the Word of God. And the same thing for us. The more we read the Word, study the Word, and apply it to our lives, it helps us to say, hey, this is how I need to live. This is what I need in my life. This is what's going to make me get to the point that I can uh, do a lot of things for Christ because I'm ready, I'm sanctified, I've been commissioned just like these disciples are to go into the world. Verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Now, does that mean that Christ needed to be made holy? No, he was already holy. But what he's talking about is the time is coming up real quickly. That sanctified part of going to the cross, that part that they're going to see in him, that he has sacrificed his life on a cross for them and for the world. And so what a great example that they're going to have as they watch Christ go to the cross. And he's going to stir within them that they should follow his example. That they should do whatever they need to do for the cause of Christ. And they will. As Dan has been teaching, they, they died those terrible deaths because they stood up for Christ and they followed his example. Now verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me 
through their words. So remember I told you it's divided up into three parts? Well, this is the third part. Right here it starts. Because you see the words here, neither pray I for these, looking around at their disciples, but for them, for the body of Christ, for all of those. So we see that as it's going along, Christ now praying for the entire church. So the first part of the prayer is for the disciples and now includes even us today. He prays for everyone who will believe on him. Verse 21, that they may, that they all may be one as the Father art in me, as thou, as thou Father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And he's going to talk more about this being one. You know, we should have a common cause as the body of Christ. I know there's so many denominations out here, but for those who are truly born again and believe in the risen Savior and are preaching and teaching the things that are the Word of God, you know, there's not going to be denominations in heaven to begin with. Only born again children of God. So we as Christians should realize, hey, we're all in this together to, to go out and reach people with the gospel. Be as one. Verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. You know, back in verse 11 of the same chapter we're at here, he said that. And now I am no more in the world, but these that are in the world, I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Well, Christ's prayer was, was about this being one thing here. Christians shouldn't be fighting against each other. We've got enough to fight against the devil and this world. And so we need to be one with Christ here and what he's talking about. Verse 23, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That made perfect there. Don't get caught up in that word like we think about perfect here a lot of times today. That perfect there doesn't mean that we will be sinless perfection, but we can be complete in Christ. You know, we're, we're human beings. We fail many times. We do many things that, that uh, we realize are wrong and make wrong choices and do things, even as children of God. But the ultimate result of this is that Christ wants the world to see who we are, I wonder how many times the world looks at supposedly people that call themselves Christians and wonder, well, my goodness, I, I don't see no difference in them and me. I, I don't realize I, the things that they say, they do, their action, I don't get it. They're supposed to be Christians. And I know that we're not perfect, but listen, we, we should exemplify some things in our life that people can see a difference in us than they do in the world around us. So it, it is very important. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, 
that thou that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for their for thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. Did you realize what this is, verse is right here? It's Christ's final request. How important is that many times? You know, even with us today, we, we have a loved one that's maybe going to pass away and have a chance to talk with him. And, and have, you, have you ever been around someone like that? And they would look at you and say, you know what, I really, as my final request, I want you to do this, this, and this. Maybe they wrote it down, or maybe they said it to us. But those words we cling on to because that's the last thing that we heard them request for us to do. And we would try everything in our power to do what they wanted to do as a last request. Now, think about what Christ is saying here. His final request is that all who believe in Him will recognize His glory, will recognize who He is. And a lot of people downplay who Christ is today, but let me tell you something. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the things that's holding everything in place today. And how we should always see Him as who He is. Let's look at how Revelation pictures him. And I think about this when I read this. Well, well I see, when I see things, well, when we get to heaven, when, things, when we actually lay our eyes upon him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And if you want to turn to that, because we'll read a few verses. And I turned to see the voice that spake to me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. He was clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. His head, his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass as that they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and, laid his, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen." and have the keys of hell and of death. Boy, what a picture that paints of who he is. So it is very important that we recognize the glory of Christ. Let's pick up verse 25. O righteous Father. That's a phrase you don't hear said very much in the Word of God. But the Father is righteous, no doubt about that. The world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, man, what a, what a prayer he's ending up with here. And that prayer is that the love that is in Christ will be in us. 
You know, that is so important that we have that love of Christ in us. You see, that what that love does, we can either look at a person in the world and say, you know what, I don't like the way they look. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Or we can look at them and say, you know what, they're not like me, so I'm not going to worry about them. Or maybe we say they deserve to go to hell, or they deserve this, or they deserve that. But the difference is, when we look at them through the love of Christ, we say, that person needs to be saved just like I got saved. That person needs to know the love of God just like I do. That person needs to know what Christ did for them on the cross. And so it makes a difference how we see people when we let the love of God shine through us. And that's what Christ is praying for. That's what he wants in his prayer. So as we finish up this chapter, Christ prays for himself in verses 1 through 5. Let me stop there and say, do you think we need to pray for ourselves? We certainly do. Most, most definitely. There are times when we don't need to worry about whatever, everything else is going on around us with other people, but stop and say, Lord, I need you in, to help me in my life. I need to help you to help me go as I deal with this and go through this. And Lord, I fail you many times and I need you. So it is very important that we pray for ourselves. And then our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, when we see them in need, when we know about their needs, when we, we, we can pray for them, when they share needs with us, we should pray for one another, just as Christ prayed for the disciples. And then we need to pray for the entire world. We need to pray for what's going on in our world and people that are being affected by it and things that are happening in the world. There are people clear across the nation that we don't even know, but we see it on the news and we see it on the internet and we say, hey, Lord, I pray for them today. Be with them, help them. And so there are times that these prayers are very important. <coughs> and that's what Christ did. He divided it up into three different sections there. All right, we shift gears because now we are headed out of this Scene where he's been with the disciples, this concourse, and this all of this that he has gone through with them. And now it's time for chapter 18. And I want to say this from the beginning, is that the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those, those accounts of this, this crucifixion, you're going to read different details in each account. That's why it's important that we read, read the Gospels many times. It helps helps us understand. So don't think as we go through John here that he's leaving out something on purpose or, uh, you know, why did it, it didn't, I didn't see this, or I didn't see that, I thought this, I thought that. Because just go back and compare the Gospels. Compare this account. Read it in entirety. John may bring out some things that the other ones didn't. The others may bring out some different details that John didn't. So, uh, that, that, that will be the case as we go through here, but it is a very good account of it nevertheless. Verse 1, chapter 18, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. So after this prayer of chapter 17, Jesus takes how many? The eleven and he goes to a garden. What is the garden? Garden of Gethsemane. 
The brook that's mentioned here, Kedron, it refers to a, just a stream that flows through this particular uh, area right here, and it only does it during the winter season. But uh, he is getting ready to go into this garden area. It's a familiar place. It's a place he has been many times. And Judas knows that. Look at verse 2. Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. So, as we move into the garden area here, it is a place that oft times, as the scripture said, that means frequently, Jesus had taken his disciples to this place. Judas comes to the garden with a large crowd. The particular scripture here that we read in this says he came with a band of men or soldiers and officers. Now, in studying that, the band of of soldiers could go up to 600 soldiers. No way did he bring that many soldiers uh, into this particular area. It was actually probably just a detachment or part of, a, of that many. Nevertheless, it was plenty of them there to take Jesus. So I noticed something as I studied this that I never had before and I thought it very interesting to put together because it's a paradox. At the end of that, it says they came with lanterns and torches. Why did they need lanterns and torches? To see. It was very dark. So they came with lights to arrest the light of the world. So it's very, it's very uh, good thought there. And not only that, but with weapons. Jesus didn't have no weapons on him. They came with weapons to arrest the Prince of Peace there in the garden. So we'll find Jesus was very cooperative with them. He knew exactly what was going to take place. In fact, verse 4 says, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come unto him went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? I don't think Jesus stood even back in the garden and waited. I think if there was a garden gate, which it probably was, Jesus actually stepped out and met him right there. Just went on right there to him. So, you know, Jesus could have hid in the garden. He could have run some other way. He could have done many things. But he went to them. So Christ was completely aware of what Judas's plan was. And probably Christ went right to them as they approached the gate. Now, as I was telling you about the details, you remember in some of the other accounts that Jesus, we have that little story of that detail that Jesus went and kissed, I mean, uh, Judas went and kissed Jesus on the cheek and said, Hail, Master. In that conversation, Jesus said, you know, you betray me with a kiss. That None of that, John, put in there. But this was actually the place right here where he, Jesus would, uh, Judas would come and do that. And he would, he would kiss the master. 
And of course, you can go back and read that account in Matthew 26 and verse number 49. Then answered him, uh, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Remember the question? Jesus said, who seek you? Who are you looking for? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, notice these two little words, I am, the great I am. I am he. You got you to realize who that I am is there. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. So Jesus of Nazareth. Why, why would it be brought out that title? They answered him, who seek you? Jesus of Nazareth. They actually had what they would have with them would be the arrest paper that they needed. And the name that would have to be on that paper would be Jesus of Nazareth. So as they're coming into this situation here, the arrest warrant would have Jesus of Nazareth. That's who we're looking for. No question. Is that you? He says, I am. They got everything straight. They, they know who they're going to arrest here. So that I am statement, and it comes up again, it really refers to his deity. Verse 6, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he. You see, there's those powerful words that really tells who Jesus is. What happened to that crowd? They fell backwards just from the spoken word. I am he. That, that forceful word, that power behind that word just knocked him backwards on the ground. And here's another opportunity. Jesus could have took off. <laughs> he could have run, but he didn't. And so we find that uh, as, the, as the crowd was caught off guard by this unusual behavior of Christ, here he is calmly facing the crowd, identifying himself, and he's making no effort to escape. Verse 7, then ask he them again. Because they wanted to make sure. Jesus said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Who is these? Says the disciples. You see, as Jesus made his way towards them, I can see the disciples kind of shuffling right on along behind him. And they're standing there. They're wondering what the next move is. They're wondering what, what's going to happen next. And Jesus says, this, here he is in the midst of going to the cross, going to trial. And what is he concerned over? His, his sheep? He said, listen, you're here to get me, but you need to let these fellows just let them go. Then. They're not, they don't need to have be punished. They don't need to be arrested. They don't, they don't need any of that. You just need to let them go. Let them go their way. So he's concerned over them. Verse 9, That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Remember we just saw that in chapter 17 when he was praying to the Father. He said, You gave these to me and I haven't lost any of them. I've guarded them. And so here, he is saying here, once again, that, that, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. So it deals with not 
really as much as physical protection as it is spiritual protection. But it's both. So, you know, the disciples, maybe some of the soldiers had already grabbed the disciples, some of the disciples, and were going to arrest them. I don't know. But Christ says, you don't need to do that. I can imagine what's going on in their minds during this time. Verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having his sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? So, <laughs> old impulsive Peter. Peter's like, hey, you're not gonna, you're not gonna take Christ here, and he he's ready to go swinging with that sword, and he cuts off the ear of that of this uh, servant here. So, uh, Christ did this. Yeah, you you got what's coming to you. He didn't do that, did he? He, in fact. Christ rebuked him and told him to put his sword up. And then he mentioned this, the cup that the Father has given me to drink, shall I not do that? Peter, I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. I appreciate you wanting to defend me, but hey, I've got to drink this cup. What is that cup that he's talking about? That's the cup of suffering. That's the cup of agony. That's the cup of the cross. That's what Jesus was having to drink. That's what he was facing. Verse 12, Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. By the way, another detail that we don't see in John, and you know what happened to the servant's ear. Jesus reached down and got it, didn't he? put it back on it and healed it. Healed that. So that's not in this particular gospel, but you will read it in other accounts. So <clears throat> we find here that he is definitely, this band and the captain and the officers and the Jews, they took Jesus and they bound him. The, the soldiers, the temple guard, they arrest Jesus, they take him, and they bound the one who came to set people free. It's so amazing how these paradoxes here that are things that are happening, uh, that who Jesus was, they certainly didn't understand who he was. So then begins the false trials, begins all the things that are going to happen with Jesus. Verse 13, they led him away to Annas first, for he was, he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest the same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So they took him to Annas. Now Annas was not the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was. But Annas had great influence with the Sanhedrin. So they figured, hey, we'll take it to him first, He'll get some things going here, and the Sanhedrin will listen to some of the things that he recommends. So this was a preliminary examination of Christ here. 
And then Annas would give his advice to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas, really, he had already drawn conclusions of what he uh, was going to do regarding Christ. Do you see what the latter part of that verse said? That it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So he's already thinking about the death that's going to take place. Verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus unto the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out the other disciple which was known unto the high priest and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Who was the other disciple? Another disciple probably referring to John. So they go into the palace. Here he is in the courtyard located right there in the center of the building. Now, Peter couldn't go in there because of who he was. Peter wouldn't be able to enter the courtyard. So what does John do? He goes back to the keeper of the gate there, which is a woman, and said, hey, you need to let Peter in. He, he's one of us. I need, he needs to come in. He talks to her and persuades her to do that. So Peter's finally admitted to go in. But look at what happened with this girl. Verse 17, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou, or art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And what was his answer? I am not. I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. John is recording these denials that was prophesied by Jesus. Peter looked at him there just days ahead. You know, Peter's like, I'm going with you all the way, Lord. I love you, I love you, I love you. And Christ said, no, Peter, you know, you're going to deny me three times. And he was heartbroken. No way, he says, I'll do that. But it's starting to happen. Here is a picture of a defeated man at this particular point. I'm thankful Peter didn't stay that way. But this man is here and he's denied the Lord. He's warming himself by the fire of those who arrested his master. You would think he'd want to be as far away from that as he could. You'd say, well, you know, I'd never, I'd never do that. I'd never say that. We can't, we can't say we would never do anything like that. Peter certainly thought he wouldn't, but he did. So, verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and his doctrine. It's amazing what they were wanting to find out at this point. What are they asking him? They're asking him, is it true that you assembled other places, that you had other purposes? What's the evidence of it? Annas is, is, is interested in Christ's disciples and his doctrine. How many disciples you had? Where are they at? What did you teach? What was you saying? What was you preaching? What, what were you all about? All of these questions. 
He's interested in the number of followers that Christ had and what he had gained. So there are many things that are going to continue to happen. We'll have to stop here this morning. Our time's run out. But they're getting closer to more of this false trial that is going on. And, uh, and of course, Jesus is just standing there. He's just answering. He's just being humble. He's doing what he knows he came to do. So <clears throat> it's a good study. Continue to, like I said, cross-reference some of the other things in the Gospels to see some of these other things that are happening. It's always good to get all these details and follow through with those. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.